Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. One two nine one sixty nine zero one. That'll get you straight to us. That's right. And you put our area code, which is two two five. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. Wish you would if you were from the frozen Northeast <laughs> <laughs> or the sweltering South. That's it. Or anywhere in between. And anywhere in between. You just give us calls. 291-6901. That'll get you straight up to us. We'll try to answer any questions you might have. Hey, you know, last weekend, we were talking a bit about fuel mileage requirements that they have mandated. mandated. Yeah. And, right. and as it looks right now, they may back off of that. Of course, Time will tell. We don't know. But the ramifications, I mean, it's like everything else. You can look at something and say, yeah, this is good. Uh But you really have to sort of look at everything, the overall cost, to get a more precise picture. Because most people are not trained how to buy stuff. And what consequently people do is they look at the lowest price very often without examining all the other factors that go in. And unfortunately, that means many times they are paying a higher cost. Exactly. Overall. And I think that's one of the reasons why, not to stereotype anybody, but a lot of the younger folks in our society who don't have the experience with buying things tend to buy cheaper things and then end up with less money as a result. An example of that would be like the printers and stuff that you can buy where the whole thing is very, very inexpensive, but the cartridge costs as much as the entire printer. Exactly. And that burns me up. Yeah, it's just one of those deals. And marketers many times have gotten pretty smart. Oh, yeah, they know. In that they can say, hey, we can give the guy a lower price, attract a huge market in, but then they got to get this stuff from somewhere to make it work, and we're going to get them there. Right. And so what happens is that one of two things either they keep spending the price of the printer back for cartridges, or they get the res and throw it away and it goes in the landfill. Either way, it's not yes. really good for society in general. Right. As opposed to someone who maybe did a little bit of studying and said, okay, yeah, this is a lower price on this one. This one costs more, but the operating cost on this one is one twentieth the operating cost on this one. Right. And of course, where I'm going with all that, you can do the same thing with a car in that one car may be priced more than another car. However, if the service history is significantly better on this car, it may be cheaper over the life of that car to pay more up front. You know, one example, and I say this all the time, but, you know, it's no mystery. I'm kind of partial to Toyota products. Uh-huh. And a lot of times folks will call and say, well, I'm trying to get my son or daughter a car. And, and I'll say, well, I usually recommend either a Honda or a Toyota product. Right. Oh, but those cost more. Well, the reason they cost more on the used market is because they are worth more because people will pay more to get them because of the history and, and that they've, the they've quality, given. The quality of the vehicle. Right. So – what happens there, let's say you're looking at, and I'm just going to pick a, a Ford Escape. Okay. And you're looking at maybe a Toyota Camry, which are similar size vehicles and all. And you could probably buy that Ford Escape on the used market $4,000 less than you can the Camry. Right. So what you have to do is weigh out, if I pay 4000 more for this car, is it worth it to me? Well, you're probably not going to save $4,000 in maintenance and repair, although you may if a transmission goes out in that Ford. Mm-hmm. But when you get ready to sell the product, again, it's going to bring way more right. on the market. Because so 
people are looking at it and they know the quality of that vehicle, so they're willing to pay the the extra to get it. Yeah, I see 12, 13-year-old Toyota Camrys with 160 to 180,000 miles selling for six dollars and $7,000 sure. all day long. Sure. And it's because people know the quality of the vehicle, and they realize that even with 160,000 miles, this car's probably not halfway through its life. Right. It's got a lot of life left. Got a lot of life left. So the point I'm making, not trying to sell Toyotas or Cam or Hondas <laughs> or anything, the point I'm trying to make is sometimes a more expensive way in is the cheapest way out. Exactly. And kind of a long way around the pole there, but what we were talking about is the 54 four mile per gallon mandate that does sound good and certainly everybody wants all the mileage they can get however if the technology needed to do that costs more than right what doubles the price of the car and cuts the service life roughly in half because when the car gets to a certain age you can't maintain the technology then it really costs a whole lot more than any savings you're ever going to realize and what's going to happen when that technology goes out of date and they start once it's obsolete yeah stop making the parts for it Right. Then you, it's a big paperweight. Well, you won't be able to get around this stuff like more and more and more cars today. If you've got a 35 Packard and a part is obsolete, you could probably have somebody make that part for sure. you if, if you just had to. I mean, because it was basically all mechanical type stuff. But when you're talking about a computer module, and that goes obsolete, and you don't have the code that was ever programmed with, you don't have any way to communicate with it, you don't have any of these things, you're not going to have anybody make that for you. Sure. You're just not going to be able to get it, and the car's not going to run without it. Right. So these are some of the things, and what you want to do is that you don't want to make a decision based on any single data point. In mm-hmm. order to say, oh, well, I, I would love a car that gets 54 miles a gallon. Well, great, so would I. But, again, I'm not going to pay an obscenely larger amount. I'm not going to pay a huge amount of maintenance. I'm going to look at the overall cost. Correct. That car over a car that gets 25 miles a gallon will save me about 400 to $500 a year in fuel. Now, that means I've got to be able to have offsetting savings. You know, It can't cost me $500 more per year to maintain this vehicle, or I have no savings at all. Exactly. Or if it contains a battery that costs $3,000, well, that's going to wipe out an awful lot of those savings. <laughs> and Quick. Yeah, exactly right. So the point is all technology that comes out, which is kind of what we want to talk about today, just because it can be done doesn't necessarily mean it's practical to do it and doesn't necessarily mean it's in your best interest to do it. Mm-hmm. There's lots of things that can be done. But, again, you want to look at your overall lowest cost. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got Russ on line. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, sir. Yes, sir. I have a question. A few weeks ago, y'all was talking about, I guess, the, the 4 to 5.7 liter. About the 5.4 liter? 5.4? Yes, sir. The three valve or four valve, one was better than the other one? Well, there's a two valve, a three valve, and a four I valve. So. And the three valve is the one that has the most problems. The four valve is very rare. They didn't use that in hardly any cars at all. Some of the high performance the Mustangs. Mustangs had it. I think a couple of the pickup trucks. Yeah, maybe the some of the Lincolns had it, but that was a pretty rare engine. They didn't use it very much. For the most part, the two valve and the three valve are the most popular by far. And the three valve is pretty popular because it came in a lot of the pickup trucks. Okay. That's what I was trying to figure out. Y'all were saying one of them was if you had one that wasn't that good to get rid of it? Well, I guess not uh, necessarily get rid of it, but. You just avoid gotta, it if you can, right. and if you got one, you just got to kind of deal with it. 
there are certain things you can do to head off some of the problems that they have with it. A couple of the bigger problems that I know with that engine, number one is the originally came out, they put a two-piece spark plug in it. And if that plug remains in the engine for a length of time, when you go to take it out, it breaks off down inside the motor. And it can be a bear to get those out all the way up to including taking the engine out of the vehicle and having to take the heads off the engine to get the plug out of it. So that's one big deal. Now, that can largely be avoided by replacing those plugs about every 30,000, 40,000 miles instead of going 100,000 miles, which does cost a little more, but not nearly what it would cost to let it stay in there and get seized up. Second big issue is they have a tendency to break the chain guides. They have two big timing chains, or actually four timing chains, but two big ones with plastic chain guides. And folks don't put the proper oil in those a lot of times. It calls for 5W20 synthetic blend, and that's not a recommendation. That's a requirement. If it were my engine, I'd probably put fully synthetic, which is even better. And you need to use a very high-quality oil filter like the Motocraft, which is made for the engine. People put the cheap aftermarket oil filters, and they put the wrong oil, and they end up breaking those chain guides. And, again, huge job to tear the motor down. Another problem they have is they wear out camshafts. There's a camshaft lobe will wear out, and they'll start misfiring and throwing a check engine light and that sort of stuff. So a lot of that can be avoided by going to more reasonable oil changes based on use rather than miles and using the right oil and the right filter. So, I mean, it's not necessarily I would get rid of it. If I had a choice, I would avoid it and but buy it, something else. But if you got one but already. If I got one anyway, yeah. I would just take real good care of it and try to avoid the problems that a lot of people are having. Now, didn't Ford come out with a revised spark plug for that engine? They did, but even those can break under certain conditions. So, right. again, I wouldn't be leaving the spark plugs in it for 100,000 miles. Did that answer everything for you, Russ? Oop, I'm no. sorry, Russ. You got cut off. I'm sorry if I didn't get the total answer for you. You can give me a call back. But, you know, it's like everything else. If you've got a vehicle that has a problem and you know you got to remember the way statistics work is sort of like and i use this example a lot because people understand it but it's sort of like a person who smokes cigarettes doesn't mean he is going to get lung cancer it doesn't mean he's going to have heart failure it just means the probability is higher for Mm -hmm. him or her and so I know there's always somebody, if you start talking about, oh, I had an uncle and he smoked for nine years. He never, okay, well, great. He got lucky. Right. But if we take 100,000 people that smoke and 100,000 people who don't smoke, you can see a much bigger trend, a different trend. Just like, same thing with all changes. I know people, oh, I never change my oil run. I go 10,000. Okay, great. Yeah. I, wonderful. I, I am perfect. You know, I'm, I'm glad Happy it worked for out you. for you. However, if we look at 100,000 people who change their oil at 3,000 miles and 100,000 people who change their oil at 10,000 miles, you're going to see a marked difference in the number of leaks, the number of broken parts, the number of rods knocking, early engine failure, sludged up engines, all these things with the people who have gone out the extremely long extended oil changes. So, again, just like with the... 5.43 5.43 valve it doesn't mean you're going to have trouble but you can hedge your bet by taking care of it right and to, to actually be proactive and try to avoid problems hey first quick little break be right back with more in the automotive hour i get your kicks on route 66 oh i had a bad dream the other night can't be worse than mine i was buried up to my neck in the desert surrounded by an army of prairie dogs and their leader rides up rides yep it's yule brenner and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn so all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece 
I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah, I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And if you have a question or a comment on the show, you give us calls, 291 6901. Always appreciate hearing from you. Should you happen to think of something after we go off the air today or maybe next week? Even at midnight, there you go. You can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is a g c o a u t o dot com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. You can, like I said, if you look around the site, do a little search, you'll probably find what you need anyway. There's tons and, and tons of yeah, information. Yeah, I, I don't on mind there. you sending me an email, of course. But if you want something even quicker, if you just do a little search, it's probably going to be on there. There's lots and lots of data there. So chances are you'll find what you're looking for anyway. And if not, just shoot an email to me. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We were talking about the technologies and stuff that some of the mandates with the 54 miles a gallon and some of the things they have to go to to meet these, number one would be lighter weight vehicles. Right. And they've got to cut that weight down because physics dictate that it requires a certain amount of energy to move a certain amount of weight a certain distance at a certain speed in a certain type of engine. And they've gotten the internal combustion engine Pretty, unless, they pretty just, efficient. They, unless they come up with some radical technology that's not even on the board right now, they're not going to make the engine a lot more efficient than what it is. Right. The problem with an internal combustion engine is that most of the energy is wasted in the form of heat, which is waste and just goes out. And uh, maybe they can come up with some way to recoup that. And I think that would be the kind of things I would like to see. Right. Let's take this 75% of the energy we're wasting and recoup and it, it and make it more efficient. But that being said, what they're doing is they're working a lot with weight because less weight is more efficient. And what they've done, aerodynamics. they've gotten the weight down so low now until mm-hmm. it's gotten to the fracture point and they're having to, well, I the, mean, they're having to pick their weight up just a little bit because they're at the bottom of the weight now. Well, because of safety, you can only do so much. And then, of course, what they've done is they've thrown all these airbags. You got dozens of airbags surrounding the drivers and the passengers which it is a safer environment however the cost basically every time you have a collision these bags come out you've totaled the car sure because the cost is just extreme and if you go back to what we're trying to do in the first place well we're trying to save a couple of gallons of gas right so we save two gallons of gas but, but we, we call every car that never gets in a wreck <laughs> you know what's the overall cost to the customer because basically either vehicle is equally safe you know people are you only talking about safety okay great i'm, I'm not all i'm all for safety right. but a vehicle that weighs a little bit more is just as safe without all this extra stuff in there and what they're going to have to do is go to more aluminum which again increases the repair process drastically because right. aluminum is much harder to repair most cases it can't be repaired you have to cut out and replace, and replace which requires a lot more equipment which makes the cost of repair go way up 
Painting aluminum is more expensive than painting steel. And on and on, some carbon fiber, exotic materials, high strength, low alloy steels, all these sort of things. But again, the key phrase is each one adds cost. Correct. And so you can easily get to a point where you're spending more long term than the than the gain you're yeah, getting. You got all. It's kind of like the old saying, you know, when you're up to behind an alligator, it's hard to remember that your original goal was to drain the swamp. <laughs> 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 yeah, original goal is save a little gas or cut the cost, but it. You, know, you you just get into this balloon where it's more and more and more and more. Other things, of course, turbochargers where they can use a smaller motor and get the power up. But again, all changes become more way more critical sure. on a turbocharged engine. Also, the amount of heat that goes in the engine, all these sorts of things, the maintenance is way higher on turbocharged. Well, engine. and you add another another component for for a high maintenance component. And if that component fails, it's going to take the engine out. Right. When that turbocharger lets go, that blade, that blade is going to go into the combustion chamber, and that's going to be it. Yeah, it's going to fracture, and it's going to go through the engine. It's look like a grenade went off in it. So, again, not saying nothing this should be done. However, you just got to know there are costs with all these technologies. Now, that kind of leads us back to where I was going today. And we had a gentleman, Jeffrey, from Ontario, Canada, who wrote, and he wanted to know about the stop-start technology, which is coming on pretty strong now right right they started it back volkswagen started actually in 83 in europe yeah and i don't think it took off too well and they kind of dropped it and then uh, mazda tried to pick it up somewhere around 2011 2012 Mm -hmm. they didn't have a real good handle on it yet so I believe now that you know time GM and technology seems to be pushing it more than anyone else and uh, we're talk, yeah we're going to talk about that in just a minute let's catch a couple of your phone calls we've got donnie online good morning donnie Good morning, fellas. Yes, sir. Look, Lewis, I, I called you last weekend, and I was asking about, this is on a 4.390 GMC Jimmy okay. V6, mm-hmm. and I was asking about the lifters. Okay. Um, and I was asking about the position of the Right, lift. right. It's got to look like a little hole on one side. Yeah, that's the bleed hole. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, you said that the lifter rotates. It did Correct. Rotates. It spins in that bore, yes, sir. On my lifters, I forgot to mention that on my lifters, it doesn't have a flat bottom. Oh, it's a roller? It's a roller motor. Okay, yeah. yeah. Now, if you got a roller motor, yes, they do have to go a specific way. But there's only going to be a cleat on one side where the little link, as long as you put them back in the same holes, they'll automatically be positioned properly. Well, mine have a little bracket that covers two lifters at a time. It's two lifters together keep from turning. Okay, so and I didn't know little... the hole should be pointing toward the back of the engine or toward the front of the engine. Well, I could actually turn it both ways, so that little hole should be pointing... And then there's a little, but all that is going to face forward, you know, towards the, the center of the motor. Okay. The, the little bleed hole that you're talking about on the side of the lifter sh- shouldn't matter which direction it goes, right. I believe, because that is all one oil galley. Right. So whether it's in the front of the, yeah, that, either it's on the one side or the other, it's still in that same galley. Right. But I don't, I don't think believe you can that put has, those lifters in wrong. I mean, I think they'll only go one way unless you physically turn the whole thing around. Well, it's got two little little flat sides on the top of the lifter. Okay. Which that bracket fits over. Okay. And it can only fit that way on those flat sides. Correct. So you can add, you can actually have that list, that little hole pointing toward the back of the engine if you turn the lifter one way or toward the front. Hmm. Yeah, I would have to look at I'm not sure on our V6 exactly how that lays out. I know on the ones that I've seen, like on your VH, is a little rivet that comes out with a, a link between them that holds them together. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really certain on that. I'd have to look at it. But I'm sure you need to put them back in however they came out because you don't want to change the direction on the roller and you don't want to move the ro- 
You know, every lifter right. needs to be back in the same hole and, and in the same direction. In the same direction. Well, because if you, if you turn that lifter 180 degrees, that roller is going to be rolling opposite the, the opposite way it way. was. And it's also the, and it's, the side that's right. worn or, you know, the two sides would not be the same. So they got to go back exactly the way they were before. You didn't make a note of how they were before you took them out? Well, I took one out at a time, but I wasn't aware of that little hole on the side. So it's possible you've got a, a couple of them turned 180 degrees in the bore. So well, what you've done is you've changed yeah, uh, you've changed the roller to the cam tip uh, yeah. orientation. Donnie, I tell you what, if you will send me an email off the website, I'll look in service data and see if it tells you about that. I'm not sure it does, but you know, when they were put together originally, it wouldn't have made any difference. Right. If everything was new, it didn't really make a lot of difference. And that may be your next route. If you can't figure out which way that goes, you may have to get another set of lifters. And well, you'd in. have to change the lifter and the cam, and the cam. which would be very expensive. Right. So. I would say send me an email, and I'll see if I can look it up in service data for you. If it doesn't cover it, then you're just going to have to take your best guess. Or if you can find somebody who's real familiar with somebody who's worked on one recently, they might be able to tell you that for sure. But like I said, send me an email. I'll be glad to look it up for you. Okay. And how do you tell if a lift is bad? Well, the easiest way is before the engine's torn down, you do an audible inspection. You know, If they're not making any noise, then they're okay other than that you physically inspect the roller if there's any wear on the roller you know that you can see any little rough spots or that, that roller ought to be smooth as glass and it ought to turn smooth as you know it's got little needle bearings and it ought right. to turn free as a breeze shouldn't have any slack in it at all but most of that is done before you tear the engine down if it's almost anything that goes wrong with a lifter is going to generally cause a noise you're going to start to hear a noise with it because they're constantly changing directions any kind of slack or anything like that is generally going to cause an, a noise. So that's how you would normally inspect it. Other than that, it's just a matter of physical inspection. I mean, you can't take it apart and look inside and all because you destroy the lifter trying to do that. Well, it doesn't have any slack, if, like if the cam is pushing up on it, but mm-hmm. it has slack side to side because I could move them side to side. In the bore? Yes. How much slack are you talking? Uh, just very little. I mean, Well, can... I mean, a thousandth or two is fine right. because you've got to have, have some, some room for all to fit. And yeah. once the oil is in there, it's going to take up that slack. But you got to figure at least two to three thousands, and and probably about four to five thousands, because when it heats up, it's going to expand. That's steel in the block; it's cast iron, so they won't expand at the exact same rate. So they're going to give you some slack in there for the oil to fit and to allow for thermal expansion. But it shouldn't be an excessive amount. I would say somewhere less than five thousands of an inch, probably more than three thousands of an inch, if you want to take a feeler blade and put in there and just check it. But I got to say, I don't think I've ever seen one wear out because it's an area that's covered with oil. It's a hardened steel lifter and it's riding a cast iron bore. So I don't say I've never changed the lifter for that reason. I've seen the rollers go bad. The lifters collapse internally. Yeah, collapse internally and there's slack between the push rod and they're making a bunch of noise. On the later model, like the V8 engines with the fuel trim and all that stuff, it can shut certain lifters down. I've seen those go bad and start misfiring and those sorts of things. But I've never seen one wear out as far as side to side in the bore. Seen the cam lobes wear out. Yeah, a cam lobe could wear out or something like yeah. that. But again, you could physically inspect all that. You'll see it if it's worn. Yeah, and I guess if you can't adjust the, the noise out of it when you adjust it, right? Yeah, it's all self-adjusting. There's right, really not, no adjustment on it. Not on those. No, what you're going to do is it's, it's a hydraulic lifter. So you're going to set an initial lash, which puts the lifter piston about the middle of the travel and once the oil pressure comes in it pumps it up and that's that's the adjustment it takes care of it itself if it's making noise then it's bad okay all righty all right appreciate it okay donnie thanks man all Bye-bye. right bye
All right, 291-6901 is the number. We're going to take one more quick little break, but, hey, we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at Agco Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go give us a call, 291-6901. And that's what Craig did. Good morning, Craig. Yeah, I have a 96 T100, Toyota T100, and yes, the uh, check engine light, it came on, mm-hmm. so I got it, you know, diagnosed at AutoZone, and they said that the, had a misfire on number five cylinder, so I changed all the plugs, and they, the old ones look good, but I just went ahead and changed them, and I changed the ignition coil, but I'm still getting the same signal on there. Okay. Well, you know, when you say I had it diagnosed, yeah, that, you do not have it diagnosed. That's two what words you had, that shouldn't be yeah, put together. never be put together. All you did is you got a code red, and it said a misfire. Right, a code red. And so red, you started right. spending money throwing parts at it. I mean, if you want to keep on doing that, you could spend more than that truck's worth and never, ever, ever hit the problem. What you got to do is diagnose the problem, which is find out why it's misfiring. In other words, instead of changing the plugs, if you just took number five plug, moved to number four, and put number four and number five and see if the misfire moved, you could have eliminated all that. Same, same thing, with thing with the calls. Same right. thing with the injectors, same thing with all those parts. The point is, it's just basically dozens and dozens of things I could tell you that it could be. And you can well, run no. out of money before you run out of guesses. You need to right. get this thing checked. Either you need to learn how to check it yourself or you need to bring it to somebody and let them check it and tell you what's wrong with it. Because you're going to spend an inordinate amount of money changing parts. And the parts you put back on may be worse than the ones you're taking off. You may have created a problem. Very See, possible you got a bad call. Yeah, suppose you got a bad call from the parts store. You put it on there. Well, now it's still missing. So you say, okay, that wasn't it. But maybe... Maybe it's something else. Yeah, so or, or maybe it was a bad car. You put another one on. It's also bad. So the the point is, I'm not trying to chastise you about it. I'm just saying that approach will cost you so much money. I mean, you could pay the tip-top diagnostic tech in the world to come and diagnose this thing for a fraction of the cost you're going to spend doing it this way. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. it could be an injector. It could be a call. It could be not getting a pulse from the, from from the, computer. the computer to that right. lead. It could be low compression on that cylinder. I mean, on and on and on and on and on we could go. I mean, it could yeah, well, be all say, kinds of stuff. This thing's got 298000 Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, it could be it anything. It may just be wore out. And it may be something very, very, very simple. I mean, it could be a mouse chewed the wire to the injector. You know, yeah. I mean, it could be all kind of stuff. It started running a little better when I changed that one ignition coil. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still, still run a little, little rough. Well, the, uh, again, no. Yeah, gone, yeah. yeah. Suppose, suppose the original call was bad. You went to the parts store, you got another one, and it's marginal. Well, it would start running a little bit better, but it would still be missing. So now what do you do? You go spend a whole bunch of money on other stuff. You don't Not have any way to check the call because you, you don't. That, that's where moving that call to a different cylinder will tell you something. Will tell you something. Right. You get a definite answer that way. 
Yeah, the call, well, I, I moved the call to number four and the misfire went to number four. Okay, well, now we got a bad call. Correct. But just putting another one on there doesn't mean anything because it's we, not a known good one. It's just another one. It's it's a new one, and new does not mean good. Not we get, today. We get parts all day long. Yeah. We turn around and send right back. Oh, yeah. I, I get people good bring cars in who have done exactly what you're doing, and they don't spend $1,000, and I say, well, you got a bad such such. No, it's new. Well, I'm telling you, you got a bad such such. And I go to Toyota and buy a new and put it on there and fix the problem. I mean, we yeah, do that I, all day long. I said something on there, and I was wondering about this. It said to check your uh, car, you can pull pull your car going to it, and and your car it start running rough, you know. Well, not if it's a bad car, but it won't. I pulled it, and the whole car engine shut down when I pulled the car. Yeah, well, it could be. You could burn the computer up doing that. Yeah, yeah. because it's still sending a pulse out there. It's not getting it back, so it backs up the computer and knocks the computer out. I mean, all kind of stuff can happen. You can't just do that now and that, but every time you do that, a charge of unburned fuel goes through the exhaust and goes in the catalytic converter and burns the catalytic converter up. Ah. So you can't just go, well, maybe this, maybe that. A guy on the Internet said, I mean, the point is you either need to use a, a structured approach, you know, right. and, or you got to bring it to somebody who knows how to do that. It's just going to be way yeah. cheaper. I mean, that's the only, only reason for doing it is because it costs a whole lot less. I mean, if you, you yeah. take it to somebody that knows what they're doing, they can tell you what's wrong with it. If you want to fix yeah. it yourself, yeah. okay. most people are happy with that. Yeah, less than an hour, they're going to tell you exactly right. what's wrong with it. But, I mean, what yeah. I would do, Craig, right now is I would first, I'd take the spark plug out of that cylinder and I'd move it to a different cylinder and see if the misfire moves. Because yeah. you could have got a bad spark plug. Who knows? You, same could have cracked one putting it in. Yeah, could have broke yeah. it putting it in. May not be, maybe it got dropped and the gaps closed up on it. Yeah. And it may not be that cylinder. Yeah. I, I've seen a cylinder, adjacent cylinder, take the next cylinder down it can you do that i've seen where you can have something where the computer is not giving enough dwell to it and it fires a call before it which is where the problem's at it takes all the power so the next cylinder misfires correct so it's just so many things that it could be again if you just start trying to well maybe it's this maybe it's that well maybe it's all kinds of stuff you know right but every one of these maybes is costing you a couple hundred bucks and time you know maybe it's a fuel injector you know, maybe it's the wire going to it. Maybe it's the pulse. Maybe, I mean, on and on and on and on and on and we go. Uh, maybe it's got a bad sense, bad spot in the crank sensor. You know, and when it comes to that cylinder, it doesn't fire. I mean, on and on we could go. You'll run out of money before I run out of guesses, I can tell you. It just needs to get to somebody who has a way of testing right. it and use a logical approach. You know, like I said, it's just way less expensive to move stuff than it is to start replacing stuff because – Back in the day when parts were fairly simple and they were pretty high quality, you could change parts, and if it worked or it didn't work, you kind of knew something. But nowadays, parts are so bad, especially if you buy them at one of the big box stores. I mean, those parts are so bad that you don't know if you got a good part or not. You just got another part. Right. So, I mean, I would try swapping parts side to side on different cylinders first off. If yep. that doesn't show you anything, check compression in that cylinder. Make sure the compression is not low on that cylinder because, again, that would yep. do it. I mean, you could even have something like a, a leaking head gasket, leaking coolant into the cylinder, you know, putting fire out on the cylinder. Who knows? I mean, just all yeah. kinds of stuff that a few simple tests will tell you. Yeah. I sure appreciate it, guys. All righty, Craig. Thank you. Good luck right, to you, man. Sir. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. And, you know, I realize that everybody is trying to save money, and sure. myself sure. included. But the point is you've got to have – a certain amount of information, a certain amount of knowledge, because if you just go in, it's sort of like the previous caller. And again, had we marked every one of these lifters before we took them out, this would not be an issue. Correct. But if we you go take back. them out and put them back in, because 
service data assumes that you're replacing all the lifters and all the cam. Everything new. And it really doesn't matter if you're putting everything new. That's right, because they're going to wear together. They're going to all wear together, and the position of the hole doesn't really matter. Right, it, because it, it's, it can go it's, anywhere. It's running in a bore. It's either going to go know, forward or backward. It's in a bore, and it's going to get all regardless. So that is, is a non-issue. It only becomes an issue if you take a worn part and put it back in a different position. It's Even, sort of like if you tore the engine down, you took the caps off the rods, and you mixed them up. Right. Well, they know, would go when, back when on, they but, made this engine and made these rods, it didn't matter what cap went on one rod because they bored it out, and it all works out just fine. But once it's manufactured, now you can't take it apart. Or another example is like a drive shaft. When they manufactured drive shaft, they just slapped it together and then they went ahead and balanced the whole shaft as mm-hmm. an assembly. But if you take it apart and move that, now You've it's no longer everything. balanced because so the point is if you don't know are you going back repairing something, it's kind of different from building it to start with, Correct. building it new. Best is to either photograph everything you're doing. If you got a cell phone with a camera, just take right. a picture of everything before because you can refer back to that or mark every part before you take it out or like he did, take it out one at a time. But again, be mindful that they, some things can go in two different ways. Correct. So you just got to be a little bit more careful when you're repairing stuff than when they manufactured it initially. So let's see. we got a bunch of phones lit up right. here. Let's go back to the line with Alan. Good morning, Alan. Hey, good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I got a 2006 Toyota Tundra 4x4. Yes, sir. And I noticed over maybe the past couple of months that my steering wheel has gotten a lot tighter, harder to turn. Harder to turn. Let me ask you this, Alan. When you say harder to turn, does it feel like less boost on it, like less power steering, or does it feel like maybe something's binding and it's just, in other words, it, uh, in, in the slack area of the wheel, every wheel has a little bit of slack. Is it tight there also, or is it only after you get out of the slack area and start to try to steer? It feels like less power steering. Okay. It could be that the pump is getting weak. I mean, that is a little difficult to diagnose. That, take and crank the vehicle up and mm-hmm. sit there at idle. Put your hand on the steering wheel and put a little pressure to one direction or the other. And then raise the RPMs a little bit and see if the steering doesn't get easier. If it gets easier, yeah. If it gets easier, you probably got a pump that's going out because what you're doing, when you pick the RPMs up, you're turning the pump faster, making it produce more, more pressure. pressure. And it'll it'll free up and it'll it'll def that's a, a real good test to Yeah, now another thing you could do is just under the hood, have somebody turn the wheel all the way to lock and watch those hoses. And when you hit lock, it's gonna go to a bypass mode because the pressure's at maximum. And see if those hoses kind of move and get tight. That tells you your pump is probably putting out pretty good pressure. Now, don't hold it on. No, don't hold it because you could damage, you could damage the pump. Just kind of bounce it a little bit off the stop. Yeah, and see if the hoses kind of tighten up on it. Now, if the pump is working okay and the hoses are okay, the rack and pinion can also start to bypass if they get old and worn. And that can also give you that harder steering. They were kind of bad about that when they were cold. First thing in the morning, you would notice it. And then once it warmed up, it would get better. And you didn't mention if this changes or not, but if it does it mostly first thing in the morning, then that's a possibility. I'll tell you what I would do first of all, Alan, and the only reason I suggest this, not that it's necessarily going to fix it, but it would be really inexpensive to do, is go in and siphon all the fluid out of that pump, fill it up with fresh fluid, run it for 15, 20 minutes, do the same thing, and do that three or four times to get all the fluid out of it and put fresh fluid in it. And see if that makes a difference. Reason being, some of those seals and all can get a little hard in time. Fresh fluid is going to have a conditioner in it that's going to soften the seals just a bit. That may help. And like I said, it may or may not help, but it's not going to cost anything and you can do it yourself. Okay. So it's, it's definitely worth that. it. I have fixed some like that. 
sometimes too there's a little crud stuck in one of the valves in the rack and pinion and it'll flush it out if you do that so certainly worth a try just because the cost is extremely low and you got some chance of fixing it if not i mean the way you would go about doing that in the shop is you put a pressure gauge on it and then you could tell if the pump's putting out adequate pressure or if the rack's returning the right amount of fluid and all that but without any equipment you're almost guessing between the pump and the rack so another thing you might just do is pull the boots back on that rack it's a little band on there cut those bands pull the boots back and if fluid comes running out then the rack is bad right. because it's leaking internally so you might replace the rack at that point because it's bad and you got at least 50 50 chance it's gonna fix the problem too that boot is there to keep the weather and the water dust and the dust and dirt out of that inner seal on that rack right should be no fluid should be no fluid in there at all if there is like lewis was saying the rack has failed internally right especially um, if it's running out right now that you're going to have to take a pair of cutting pliers and cut that metal band off, but you can take a zip tie, a heavy-duty zip tie, and re-zip tie them back on if they're if they're dry inside. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about trying to save that metal band. Okay. All right. Uh, would, I do know I have one bad ball joint uh-huh. and one of my outer tie rods. Yes, sir. Bad as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Would that have anything to do with it? No, not making it hard to steer because the power steering puts out enough fluid. Even if that ball joint was frozen up, it wouldn't really affect the steering a great deal. What it would start doing is it would hunt the road. Or as you turn the wheel slightly, it start going that way. You cut it back that way, it start going the other way. It would feel real annoying to drive because it'd be all over the road because of it binding. However, the power steering is going to overcome that. I mean, unless it was even just totally yeah, it would locked, have to be up. locked up. Yeah, that power steering, you got enough pressure there to where it's going to turn the wheel. Okay. All right. Good. Okay, man. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number, and we've got Fred on the line. Good morning, Fred. Hello. Yes, sir. I've got a 2008 Chevrolet Tahoe uh-huh. with around 115,000 miles. Mm-hmm. I'm studying on changing the fuel pump before okay. it goes bad based on past experiences. And the reason is that's my wife's vehicle, mm-hmm. and if she breaks down, I might be watching something on TV. I don't want to go fetch it. Yeah, I understand. So, well, the, what have y'all what have y'all seen as far as the well, life of those its original fuel pumps? Yeah, yeah, I think generally, I mean, some of them do fail at a hundred thousand miles. Some of them go two hundred fifty thousand miles. Yeah. The problem that I've got with that theory, Fred, is that the replacement you get is not necessarily any better than the one you're taking out, and may not be right. as good. Yeah. So just putting another part in there doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make the car safer or more reliable. Yeah. I said some of them last the life of the car, some of them do fail, but most of the time they do start giving you some symptoms before they fail. Either it'll get to where it's hard to start first thing in the morning, it has to crank a few times before it starts, or you'll start to get like misfire under load or something like that. They do occasionally just drop out and fail, but again, you may put a brand new one on there and it may drop out and fail. You know, so I had a, I had a GM pickup truck. Mm-hmm many years ago for that and it just shut yeah. down all of a sometimes sudden sometimes they that's do yeah so that's the reason the thought came to mind yeah sometimes they do like and i do understand what you're saying my only apprehension would be that you're spending the maximum you, you're spending the full amount to do it which you may not have had to do and you may be getting a part that's worse than the one that you're taking off because right. i had a gentleman come in one time and he had a leaking front seal on his harmonic balancer and the water pump was not leaking. I had no problem with it whatsoever. And out of trying to help the guy, I said, well, you got 150,000 miles. I'm right there. Do you want to go ahead and change the water pump? He said, sure, let's change it while we're in there. 
Well, I put the new one on, crank it up, drip, 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 drip. It's leaking. That's so, right. <laughs> you know, I had, and lucky it leaked in the shop. So I was yeah. able to go ahead and take it off, put another one on and get him going. But let's say I, he took off down the road and this thing would have went out. Well, now, you know, did I really do him a favor? You know, it's just yeah. the parts you get today. I mean, even if you go back to the Chevrolet dealer and buy that pump, it's not necessarily a whole lot better than the one you're taking out. Right. So I don't know if this was just a falling down, easy thing to do or an inexpensive thing to do. I'd probably say, yeah, but I mean, that's a pretty big job and a pretty yeah. expensive part. I would probably just keep an eye on it. Yeah, I know my truck was a long, long time ago and it was like 800 bucks. Yeah. They're expensive, especially with a good pump. You go buy a cheap pump. You're probably worse off than you were before. So I think well, I'd, I'd really? let it ride. If it was and me. You, you try well, to, you try to fight that 27 gallon tank in the driveway on yeah. your back, man. That's a job. Well, it is. Well, no, I, I take it to the shop. And yeah. The folks told me they gave me original equipment, but, you know, you, you can't look inside that gas tank. That's right. That's right. But I, <laughs> I think I'd just wait and yeah. see. I mean, I don't think I'd change it on a maybe. All right, dude. Thanks, All right, friend. Bye. Thanks, man. All right, one last quick little break. Sammy, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Phew. I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's in auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh... All wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Let's see if we can catch these calls real quick. We've got Sammy online. Good morning, Sammy. Morning, guys. Yes, sir. Morning. I got a '03. Well, my wife's got an '03 Trailblazer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I have a brake issue with it. Okay. At all times, she was driving it around a while back, and she called and said her brakes went to the floor. It still stopped. Mm-hmm. The brakes went. You know, she couldn't get her foot up. Her other foot up underneath the brake pedal. It went down so far. Mm-hmm. Wow. She drove real slow. The flash was on. Got back home. I get in it. The thing worked fine. Mm-hmm. But this past week, she was driving it again. And it started doing that again. Well, she gets home. Cause I, I was home at that time. She comes home and she wants me to test drive it. Well, before she turns in the driveway, the brakes are working again. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, I have no code, like check engine or anything like that. Right, right. right. No, it wouldn't check uh, any also, of that. I asked her, was there any lights? Did a brake light come on or anything? Mm-hmm. And she's good about checking gauges. Right, right. Like that. She said, no, she didn't see anything. Yeah, most likely, if it were a failure of some sort, even on 03, you would have got a red brake warning light if you lost hydraulic pressure or something. So more likely it's something the car sees as normal. A couple of possibilities. One would be it's going into anti-lock brake mode when it shouldn't. And again, if the sensor, let's say the little tone wheel has got a bunch of metal because it's a magnet, a bunch of metal caught up in it, and it's kind of borderline, it can barely read those things. Occasionally it loses sight of it. It thinks the wheel's locked up. When it does go into ABS mode, that pedal's going to drop. 
Okay. But the car is going to see it as normal because it just thinks it's an analog stop. So it thinks okay. it's doing what it's supposed to do. That's one possibility. Sometimes the hydraulic valve, the anti-lock hydraulic valve in the ABS unit will bypass and that pressure from the master goes into the ABS unit and doesn't come out. So and it, it doesn't get to the wheel. You don't wheels. lose fluid, so it's not going to see it as a problem. It's just going to lose your, your, your pedal's going to drop. Right. That would be another thing, something in the ABS unit itself. Now, is the, that, I'm sorry, if that valve you were talking about did go in the in this stuff, would it work itself loose? And could very work? well, yeah, because it cycles okay. all the time. Right. And it may stick on one cycle and free up on the next. Now, another two things that comes to my mind immediately. One would be, of course, if the master cylinder were bypassing internally, but that would generally, if the pedal went all the way down, would throw the red brake light on. So okay. I think I that's probably that. less likely. Now, one last thing, Sammy, if the brake fluid has never been replaced in that vehicle, brake fluid is made out of alcohol, it contaminates a lot over time. If the brake fluid is contaminated enough, what could happen in stop-and-go traffic? It could get hot, and when it gets hot, it could start to ball in the cylinders, and when it does, the pedal's going to go to the floor, and as soon as it cools off, it's going to come back up. Well, you know, she did mention one time when it did that, she did smell something. Yeah. Like yeah. Well, I remember one day when she came up in the driveway quite a while back, it just mm-hmm. smelled like, the, actually smelled like the brake fluid, the brake pads were had gotten hot well see if, if you got a caliper or a cylinder hanging up and it's getting hot and the fluid's contaminated too it would definitely lose the pedal because that once that fluid gets hot enough it starts to ball your pedal's going down and see the the ballpoint on uncontaminated brake fluid dot three is up around 450 degrees but when you get three percent moisture that's going to drop down to probably three something or maybe even lower down to 200 something which is where brakes operate when they're hot so, okay. I mean, I would probably have someone inspect all the wheels or do it yourself, make sure all the wheels are turning free, make sure none of the rotors are blue or look like they've been getting real hot. If not, I'd probably have all the brake fluid replaced in it and see if that doesn't clear it up. Okay. I'm going to check the wheels, and it's not that, so uh, I'm just bringing it to y'all. Yeah, that's that's a relatively inexpensive thing to have the fluid replaced in it. In it. Yeah. And it, that needs to be done regardless if it's never been done. Okay. All righty. All right, thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, I see we got just a couple of minutes there. I want to talk just a little bit more about the stop-and-go technology, and that is the newer vehicles like GM and Ford is using this quite a bit. And when you come to a stop, in other words, when you apply the brakes, the car quits moving, the computer will evaluate the situation, and under the proper conditions, it's going to turn the motor off. Right, so it's not sitting there idling using up fuel, not doing any work. Right. Now, the conditions, just to name a couple of them, if the battery is weak in the car, it deems that the battery is weak, then it won't turn it off because it would not restart. And there are other conditions where it may do that. Now, the obvious advantage is without the motor running when you're sitting there idling, it's running on battery power. So it does shorten battery life somewhat, but it does save a certain amount of fuel, save a certain amount of pollution. They've come out with a new battery technology. Right. I know it was working on a battery for this technology mm-hmm. back in 2012. Right. And, and these, the technology these cars here. generally have two batteries in them. You can have your regular starting battery, and then you can have your running battery, which is this piece here. Now, the obvious disadvantages are you got more complexity. Sure. You've got... And I meant to call and get a price on that starter. I think the starter alternator is one big assembly on it with a right. big Gilmer belt that runs the motor. I imagine that's a very pricey assembly. And since it's starting and stopping almost constantly, I would think the wear and tear on that's going to be pretty you significant. Think, yeah. So I would think you'd have a pretty expensive repair at some point in the life of that car. The other thing is by constantly restarting the engine, you're putting a lot more wear and tear on the engine by dry starting the engine. Yep. So 
I tell you, I'd like to talk a lot more about it, and we will in a future show, but we're yep. just about out of time for today. Tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, which whichever you choose. There's several out there. There's Podcast Chart, Player FM, Podbean, VOA, Podfeed, and just to name a few. Yeah. Go to the written review and fill it out for us. Yeah, give us a written rating, and that'll move us up in the rank. So we'll get to, to the top more of the people list. To us. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.